from Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 131. Today's show is brought to you by Mac Weldon, Encapsula, and Blue Apron. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Mrs. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen Hackett. Hello, Michael Hurley. And Federico Vatici. Welcome back to the show. Hello, guys. So we got a lot of great feedback last week um, mm-hmm. from my own It was a great host. show. Thank you very much. Uh, Stephen, how did you feel about the segment? Because you really were not in the room. Did you enjoy hearing me talk to, to Mary and finding out all of the juicy details about you? <laughs> I did. It was it was very good. And most of the follow-up about it basically says that everyone likes my wife more than they like me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I got, that, I got that going for I, me. <laughs> yep. I agree. I agree, yeah. actually. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I've spent... Actually, <laughs> what are you doing here today? Remind me again. Why, why I like her more Mary. than I like me. So... Makes sense. Uh, thumbs up all around. No, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so I set her up in here, and then I ran away. But as soon as the show was posted, I skipped that uh, that section and listened, and it was really good. And um, so yeah, we some people have asked if they will hear her on future shows, and I think the answer, hopefully, uh, will be yes. So moving on to uh, sort of more regular follow up. Follow up. The follow up. <laughs> the iPad Pro. Uh, I don't know what to call this rumor cycle. This is like the weirdest rumor cycle around these products, right? Like they're just say it, just because I, I need to. I need to say something else. So just say that they're the oh. <laughs> so the products that have not been announced and have not been given a ship date. <laughs> no, no, I, sh- are I was supposed to say that. I was supposed to say that. Come on. <laughs> so, wow. so, so the the gist of this story is that. Uh, at Digitimes, so kind of, you know, they get some stuff right, they get some stuff wrong, that the 10.5 and 12.9 inch iPads Pro, iPad Pro units, won't ship until maybe June, maybe May, sometime in Q2, even though we would be having an event, again, that hasn't been announced here in a couple of weeks. They they kind of pull something out of the quarterly call Apple had a few weeks ago with Tim Cook saying they're having issues meeting demand on some iPad units. And like right now, the 12.9 iPad Pro is a little bit hard to get a hold of. So maybe they're scaling that down. Like there seems to be something happening. Uh, and this is my semi-regular reminder that Apple is now being run by the operations guy and they struggle with operations, which is sort of endlessly uh, funny to me. But I don't see how they announce these things in March and they don't have them ready to ship pretty quick. I mean, the only thing that kind of comes out in my mind is, remember the iPad mini, the first one, they announced it in October and then it shipped basically at Thanksgiving, like barely in time for the holidays. That's about as far as I think you could take this. I think if they are on stage in March, then we will see these things hopefully before May or Mm -hmm. June. Um, Just a weird, weird, a weird twist in this already like crazy rumor cycle. Like I'm looking at Apple's website right now and like in the UK if you want to get a 12 inch iPad Pro like you're waiting two to three weeks before dispatch and they only have uh, models for pickup in the big stores like in the smaller stores like if you're in like a got a relatively small town store there are no uh, it says nothing until the 22nd of March for pickup so I mean we had heard like I had some emails um, from from feedback to upgrade from people like in far flung lands uh, that they weren't getting units like outside of Europe, 
Uh, but it looks like it's happening here. Like I'm looking at the 9.7. The 9.7 won't deliver until the 1st of March. So there's something happening. Like there, there aren't a lot of these things um, and or they're getting ready to replace them. And I think it's probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. But it seems a bit strange that this long into the product cycle, like I can't imagine that there's been an influx of people trying to buy these things. Like why, why yeah. are they so hard to get a hold of? Yeah, it, it is weird. And this it's a very similar situation here in the US. I mean, I picked a 12.9 iPad Pro and it's not available to pick up until March 28th. Like something's up. And and you know, generally this means there's new stuff coming cuz they adjust the product ramps and that's my guess. My guess is that this rumor about them being delayed isn't super accurate that you know there may be some delay, but I really can't see them announcing in March and then not till not shipping until until June, you know, some people in the chat room talking about the first iPad being an example of this. Well, there's initial products like the first time they do something pen is pending FCC approval a lot of times here in the states, and so they they pre-announce things really far in advance because getting the first of something through takes longer. It's you know they announce the iPhone like what like six months in advance, so that it's a little bit different, I think. But you know what would be a run of the mill upgrade, even with like this 10.5 kind of new device. To my memory, I don't think the FCC thing applies anymore because it used to be done because the FCC stuff was public. But since the original iPhone and subsequent companies releasing phones, um, the FCC will now agree to do a non-public review of a product. So, like, it's sealed hmm. like from the public, yeah. so it's not in the public record. So I think it is possible for a company to get it done because otherwise, wouldn't we have this with every iPhone? Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Because the radios change, you know? That doesn't really affect, like, why these things would be... Like, uh, you're right, but I don't know if it's a if it's a huge deal. But um, it's weird. And it's if you want an iPad right now, it's hard to get one. And, you know, like other Apple products, the Apple Watch is still hard to get a hold of sometimes. And just another chapter in this, like, very crazy um, iPad story. Um. But the other side of this, too, uh, we talked about a couple weeks ago, is that iOS 10.3 didn't bring anything new mm-hmm. for the iPad. You know, we we all thought that new hardware and new software would come together, but that doesn't seem uh, to be the case this time. Um, and Federico, you were one to really kind of push that idea. What do you think's gone on there? Like, is this a big deal? Well, uh, I think we're, uh, as I said, um, you know, some things got moved to... WWDC, which uh, which is really interesting to me because it means that um, by by June it'll be two years since we last uh, saw some iPad only features uh, on a on stage at an Apple event. So the last iPad features that we saw were in WWDC 2015 for uh, iOS 9 and Split View. So if you know what I hear is correct, and we're gonna see some iPad love at WWDC. It'll be two years. Um, now, a lot of people are certain that, that Apple is going to do a March event. And it wouldn't be unprecedented for the company to have, um, you know, to split kind of the, uh, the hardware announcement from the software uh, updates. Um, even the, you know, both iPad Pros, for example, both the 12.9 and the 9.7 got announced with only minor changes to the software. Uh, I mean, of course, the new resolution for uh, the big iPad Pro and the True Tone stuff, for example, and uh, you know, for the small iPad Pro, so it wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be unusual for Apple to release new hardware and eventually update the software for it. 
uh, it's just it's quite you know I, I would love to see to ask Apple uh, why are we seeing this you know two year gap in between major software updates to the iPad is this something we should get used to or is this something the company will get better at you know by releasing right. uh, annual upgrades because every two years it seems like a long stretch you know to to this long gap between. Uh, improving the software for the product that the company itself is calling the future of computing. Um, it's quite strange. And uh, I find some irony that you know the Mac has gotten annual OS updates now for several years, and most Mac users want them to slow down on that, right? When iPad users want them to speed up. So it, it goes back to that conversation Mike had a couple of weeks ago about what takes the priority and is the iPad being like, in lockstep with the iPhone, is that holding it back? There's lots of different ways they could change this and 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 come at it from a different angle. And I agree with you that you know a year and a half or two years, however long it's been, that is a long time for something that they are pushing as you know the quote future of computing. Whether you believe that or not, aside, that's how Apple pitches it. But Apple's own actions don't seem to back that up very often. And I think that's where that that tension comes in. Um, I wanted to uh, revisit something from 2015 because I'm in charge of follow-up, so I can I can go way back. Uh, in 2015, I had uh, a pretty big problem with iCloud Photo Library. And as, as the two of you know, and as our audience knows, uh, photo management solutions are really the backbone of our show. And uh, it's what we talk about when we're just hanging out you know, together. We just talk about different ways to upload JPEGs to the internet. And so I tried iCloud Photo Library during the beta, like way back in the beta, and then in 2015, gave it a run. I was using Dropbox and Finder, but I had iCloud Photo Library basically overwrite a lot of um, data local on my iMac. and actually had data loss because iCloud did the wrong thing. Now, I had backups, so I didn't actually lose anything, but iCloud Photo Library should not have overwritten data on disk with bad data. Uh, since then, and I haven't really written about this, I've talked about it here and there, is that I've returned to iCloud Photo Library. I did it uh, back in the fall, uh, about the time Sierra came out, because like the Dropbox thing just wasn't scaling. I wanted everything on my phone, and I'd, I had been using iCloud Photo Library. I set up for Mary a while back, and she really liked it, and I really liked the way it worked. So I, I gave it another run, and I had no problems. Now, during that 2015 time, I spoke to like Apple Care people. They did some sort of like voodoo on my iCloud account and everything was good. And it's been fine since then. I have, uh, I'm not going to open photos now, but you know, I have like tens of thousands of photos in there, lots of videos, lots of albums. And it's been seemingly rock solid for me and I've really enjoyed it. Until I, saw, I noticed something last night. So I, I have been this year taking a photo a day as like an art project and I've been writing a description for each one. Normally I don't write descriptions in photos, but I have been for these because it's just like a little story in my day. And I was just sort of reviewing the photos from this year already and noticed that uh, the first half of them all have the same description all of a sudden. It took the description from like a random photo <laughs> and it populated all the other descriptions with that text. If you think about it, like it's kind of like a commentary on your life, you know? It is. Uh, and in fact, the one... It's like every day is the same, you know, the March of Time yeah. that kind of thing. And in fact, the wow. and ironically, the, the caption that it copied was something about like going outside and taking advantage of the sunshine. You know, like, so it's like that on like tops of photos. Maybe like, it's sending you a message. I don't know. It's trying to teach you a lesson. It is. The... So that's, that's worrisome for a bunch of reasons. Um, so I exported, you know, one of the images with bad metadata 
and opened it in preview. And sure enough, it had written that description into the metadata for the photo itself. So it has created a dest- a destruction, a destructive action on those photos, right. which is like the number one thing it's not supposed to do. Uh, so I don't know what to do with that. I have those descriptions elsewhere. So again, I haven't lost that data. I'm going to probably today copy it back in and see what it does. But at this point, now my trust in iCloud Photo Library has been broken. And yes, it's just descriptions. It's just metadata. Like the dates are still correct. The geolocation is still correct. It's just one field. But it's not supposed to, like, <laughs> fundamentally against what it's supposed to do. So I filed a radar because, don't yell at me, that I didn't file a radar. Uh, I don't expect to hear back. But it's just really frustrating because I like so much about iCloud Photo Library. I know the two of you are using it. Lots of people use it. I've set people up on it. It really is great, but it should not be doing what it's doing. And there's no, there's no way to like see what happened. You know, even if so. One thing I tried last night, I had photos open, and I went to my menu bar and said "Enter Time Machine," and it kicked me to Finder and then Open Time Machine. Like that interface isn't like what it used to be in iPhotos. Like, well, I'll just go get backups of these pictures and bring them back in, and the descriptions will be there. Like that's not even an option because you can't see what any of this is doing. Well, but couldn't you get the correct files from Time Machine though? Like with the without the metadata being ruined in the original. If I mean, if I dug into the package and found them, I'm sure I could. But I was hoping that it would be much simpler than that. And right. I haven't gone down that route. And because I have them, because I've been posting them online, so I have all the descriptions, like I'm just going to re enter them. So when you go to Time Machine, it's not taking you to those original photos then? No. Right. No. It kicks me to my home folder and That's then good. opens my home folder in Time Machine, which is like, again, the wrong thing to do. So I. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I'm not going to rage export to Dropbox over this, but I, I keeping my eye on it very closely now because it's like it seems like such a simple thing to to. I mean, it's just a it's just a metadata tag in the in the image, and it overrode it all for some reason. Yeah, so it's like I mean, obviously, like why would you not do this, right? Like, why would you not put that information in there? But like for yeah. for me personally, like I'm kind of just like I would. I just, I just don't. I just tried that uh, time machine thing. By the way, like that's crazy. It just opens the finder window you were last in. Like it's like, yeah, it's like thank you so much. That's perfect. Um, it's not good. I, I, I personally, I think, kind of just wouldn't trust iCloud Photo Library or Photo Library with that type of like super specific data, like a manually into description. No, I know, I know, I know, I know, but like. <laughs> It just, I don't know, like, I just feel like that isn't really a thing that I would give it because it seems like a kind of finicky little piece of the metadata or the application. Like, it just, like, I, I just wouldn't do it. Like, because you can save that stuff elsewhere, that's probably yeah. what I would do, which you obviously did anyway, because clearly you didn't trust it, like, 100% because you had that information in yeah. other places, but... Um, well, and I just had it there because I've been posting them online, so someone wants to see them all in one place. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't to back up the metadata; it was just right. a side effect of how I'm sharing the photos. But um, it's it's just frustrating. Like you know, we talked last week about the how we store our data and stuff, uh-huh. and the I think I said it even said it on the show. Like anytime Google and Apple overlap, and like iCloud overlaps with something else, I don't pick iCloud because of this sort of thing, and. I have all my stuff on Google Photos and it, you know, and I, 
it's great that it's there and it's searchable and stuff, but um, yeah. iCloud Photo Library is such a nice experience. It is so great having all, I don't know, 37,000 photos I have available on all my devices. Like, I truly like that, but it's got to work. It's got to be bulletproof. So no, I we'll get see, it. We'll like, see if that, if that gets... I don't expect, if the radar gets entered, I don't expect them to be able to fix it. Uh, I mean, my, I can put that metadata back in, but uh, it's something that I hope does get looked at because not everyone is as... Uh, creepy as i am with data yeah i will say weird today i learned that you could add descriptions to photos in in, uh photos (laughs) yeah i had no idea either (laughs) honestly yeah i mean i never i never do it i've only done it for this you know but um, like it's not even a problem and today i i learned as mike said yeah i mean that's not good you know i totally agree with you like you know you've been burned twice at this point uh i guess the first time in a major more serious way maybe and now it's happening again, so it makes sense that you know you, you want to look elsewhere. I think it's a shame because iCloud is so easy to use, so easy to set up, and I and I recommend it to to all of my friends. You know, just use iCloud. But when that stuff happens, and it seems to me like it tends to happen more with the Mac app, maybe. Um, you know. Yeah. Well, you can't even see the descriptions on iOS, so it could be destroying them all for you, and you just don't know. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. That that's not good. Yeah. Anyways, this week's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Mac Weldon. Now, Mac Weldon, the clothes that they make, the the great underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that they make, I'm I'm very sure, very sure that they are better than whatever you're wearing right now. I implore you, dear listener, to go and upgrade the materials that you put upon your body by going to MacWeldon.com because they believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. You go to their website, everything's nicely presented. You get really great photos of everything. They have great sizing guides. You know, you can go there and you're going to feel comfortable in knowing that what you're going to get is easy to buy. And then when it comes to you, you're going to feel great when you put it on and you're going to look super stylish too in anything that you wear. They also have some really cool science going on with their line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial. They eliminate odor, so you're going to smell good, which is good. I think people like to smell good. Mac Weldon make you feel comfortable and smell good. Like, you know, that's such a great combo. Like, what, what, what more could you ever want? And they also, they, they back this up, Mac Weldon, which I like as well. If you don't like what you get from them, like if you buy some socks and you put them on, you're like, I don't like these socks. You can send them, you can send them back, right? That's what you'd usually do, but no. Not with Mac Weldon. They'll say, we'll refund you. You keep it. They, they, they don't want your socks back. You just keep the socks. They'll refund you. But I'm very sure that you will get those socks. You will put those socks upon your feet. And you will decide and say to yourself, you know what? This is better than any pair of socks I've ever had. I, I believe this, ladies and gentlemen. I think you should go and do it. Not only do Mac Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good. They perform well, too. They're good for whatever it is that you want to do in your day. Mac Weldon is going to be good upon your body. Listeners of this show can get 20% off. That's a big discount. 20% off at MacWeldon.com by using the code CONNECTED at checkout. Thank you so much to MacWeldon for their support of this show and Relay FM. MacWeldon. So, uh, moving on, still in follow-up. Uh, Federico, you are a... You mo- you guys mock me for my collection of computers, but Federico is, is very passionate about digital preservation. And uh, you wanted to highlight this really awesome project. Well, I, it's not that I don't, I don't. Uh, it's not that I mock you. I, I love you in an alternative way. Um, 
Anyway, there's this cool project by the Video Game History Foundation, uh, spearheaded by uh, Frank Sifaldi. He's a video game developer, archivist, historian. You know, he's done a bunch of things with video games over a decade or possibly more. He's a cool guy. And now he's started this foundation. He's a nonprofit organization based in the U.S. And they're working to create this complete and full archive of the history of video games. Um, they're trying to digitize video games, so old cartridges, CD-ROMs, DVDs, and they're trying to not only preserve those games, but to uh, make sure that their source code is safe, can be reused in the future, and can be portable, you know, between different, you know, archiving systems. And they're also trying to create this digital archive of the culture surrounding video games. Uh, for example, magazines, um, articles from newspapers, old video game guides, you know, everything surrounding the uh, the video game space, starting from the early 80s, uh, you know, to the, to, to, to the most recent uh, video game era. And they're doing so by, well, first, Sifaldi uh, is donating his own private collection to the foundation. And they've started this project. Uh, you can find it on gamehistory.org. Um, there's a link to a Patreon that they've started to sort of, you know, make sure that this organization can uh, build this space, this archive. And eventually they have a bunch of projects in mind for the future, whether it's, you know, working with museums to actually uh, archive and, you know, show off these old video games, or maybe to create a, a searchable database of old uh, video game magazines, old articles, <laughs> maybe open a library in the future for uh, like a physical library you can go to and, you know, read old video game magazines. Uh, which can be, you know, an incredible resource, not just for, you know, cultural uh, preservation purposes, but also for researchers, for example, or for uh, for uh, video game developers who want to, you know, want to check out an old game or, you know, uh, old marketing strategies, for example. Anything that comes to mind when it's about, you know, video game culture. This is the exact type of project that I would love to see for apps, you know, uh, for software. Uh, and to an extent, the the Internet Archive is doing something similar with software, not necessarily for iOS apps because you know they're not as uh, um, you know they're not as open, for example, as uh, software on the PC. Um, but you know, uh, if you're into video games and the idea of preserving uh, games and the culture of video games, as much as I am. Uh, go to gamehistory.org. There's uh, two pages you can check out. There's also a video. Uh, and there's a, the donate button that will take you to this page where you can choose to support, you know, monthly on Patreon or to just send a one-time donation. Uh, so the Patreon is going well. They have uh, lots of plans for the future. Um, you know, if you if you listen to Connected over the past couple of years and also to Remaster, you know this is something I really care about to preserve uh, old video games, to preserve the culture of, you know, game makers and game developers and everyone, journalists. Uh, this is great. Watch the video. Uh, there's some awesome footage of the private collection being donated to the foundation. Uh, it's very awesome. Uh, I love this idea. I have a question for you, Federico. Okay. Should bad video games be put in the archive? Yes. Yes. Why? Because everything should be preserved, even the, the bad things, the good things and the bad things. Uh, you know, when you when you go to a museum and you come across this medieval painting, you don't question whether it's a, it's a good or a bad painting. It's important to preserve everything. It, you know, when, when the Roman Empire was falling apart and, you know, historians were looking back at the things left from the Romans, they didn't go like, oh, well, this building is awful. Let's just tear, tear it down. We don't care. No, you preserve everything because in, it's necessary to keep everything 
uh, if you want to build a complete and you know uh, honest and accurate uh, archive of you know what came before. Okay, that's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. So, what else? What else do we have? We have uh, Mozilla buying Pocket, which um, I think is only follow up because we spoke about Instapaper and Pocket a couple weeks ago. It's not super surprising that it's Mozilla, right? Pocket started as a Mozilla plugin. They've partnered for a long time. You can log in with the Mozilla login, which is the only app I've ever seen that button in. And now they kind of returned returned home. It is Mozilla's first acquisition, I think. I think ever. I think is what I read, which is pretty stunning. And they say that it will continue to operate as an independent company, have its own uh, leadership, its own designers and developers, but be backed with that sweet Firefox money. I, I don't have much to say past that. I mean, I get the impression that a read it later read it later service is just a hard business to be in, right? Instant paper sold to Pinterest last year, uh, and now this. But um, I think Mozilla will be. I think they'll be hands off. I think they'll. Let them do their thing, which which will be good, right? We need we need these apps to be uh, competing with each other so they both get better. I mean, it makes a lot of sense for I guess for Mozilla to try and uh, gain this foothold in mobile that they kind of lost, you know, when you know they they focus on the desktop browser, but then eventually people move to Chrome on the desktop and they just use Safari on iOS and also whatever Google has on Android. Uh, I think it makes sense to try to win back mobile users. This is what Mozilla wants to do, apparently. But it's just every time I see these companies, right, uh, grabbing these smaller uh, products or services, just I never get a, bad fe- a good feeling about it. You know, I always leaves a bad taste in my mouth when I see you know, Pocket had these big plans to create this search engine for uh, stories on the web, uh, this smart engine for recommendations, finding the topics that you care about, and now it's going to be a product under Mozilla. It, I don't know, man. It's a, it's the same feeling that I get with Instapaper and Pinterest, for example. And it kind of shows how it's become so difficult, if not you know downright impossible, um, to create a business on top of a read-later service now that the web landscape is so much different from you know just five or six years ago when you know today you could argue that most websites have at least a decent reading layout i mean there's sure there's ads and you know banners and whatever but at least i would say in terms of typography um and general layout and you know mobile versions I think the situation today is better than six or seven years ago. You know, when you go to Medium, when you go to The Verge, when you go to Bloomberg or the New York Times, you get a decent layout, a decent reading layout. And most of these apps, by the way, whether it's the native New York Times app or Apple News or Google News Stand on any platform, or if you look at the browser, for example, if you look at you know Google Chrome, if you look at Safari, if, even if you look at Facebook, for instance, uh, the only outlier at this point is Twitter. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, they have native save features to save a story for later. And so these these read later services, um, they they're you know they have pressure from both sides because websites are not as terrible in terms of reading experience as they used to be you know six or seven years ago, and the social networks or the apps or the browsers that people actually use already have implemented native uh, read-later features. 
So at this point, what is left to do for a read later service? I don't know. And that's why we're seeing these acquisitions. That's hmm. my two cents. Yeah. Um, I I wonder if it's just that this, this is something that people don't want anymore and or we don't need. Because our phones load stuff really quickly now. We don't kind of yeah. need to queue stuff up to read later. I mean, exactly. as you say, like so many services have these built in. I mean, I wonder if the reason that Instapaper and Pocket got acquired is because they, you know, maybe their businesses were declining, which makes me kind of wonder why companies would buy them. I, I don't know. It depends how many people <laughs> were, were still using Pocket. Um, as Carlos in the chat room points out that Pocket had 10 million users, which is a lot of people. I don't know if it's really like build an independent business from their business model amount of people uh but yeah so there you go i just i just don't think it's something that most people really have much of a need for anymore outside of the tools as, as federico pointed out that are in our browsers you know yeah i don't know i mean i i still use mine i still use newspaper heavily but really not necessarily to read in because uh like you said websites have gotten so good but really it's kind of like a temporary bookmark holder like i just need to get mm-hmm. back to this at some point and i would use reading list if i use safari on the mac but uh, i don't so it, it is interesting i i agree with you guys that i think the the use case you know the importance of these issues uh, of these services has faded some over time and there's sure, still there's still people who are like marco when he invented it right who get stuck on a train or something and, and want offline access but uh i gotta think that that has gotten to be less and less important over the years yep uh, I saw some news today on Engadget that, that um, is relevant to me, but I don't know if I'm massively interested, uh, which is that <laughs> Google Home is launching in the UK in the second quarter. So sometime between now and June, um, we're going to see it. So you know, April, May, June time, we're, we're going to see Google Home in the UK. Um, I don't know. Like It still has some features that I wished the uh, Echo did. But I don't know if it's going to be enough. Uh, I'm going to keep my eye on it, right? Like if they have a, some interesting integrations and stuff like that, you know, it, it could be a good product. Um, but I, I'm I'm definitely less excited about this than when it was announced, just because it seems like most people are kind of like, eh, you know, if you already have an Echo, you're totally fine. So, yeah, yeah, I think so. And as, Google hasn't even shown, you know, um, I, I, at least I think. Uh, sort of an ecosystem like the uh, the Echo has, you know, you can buy a, f- a main Echo speaker and then buy like satellites with the Echo dots yeah. and just place them around the house. And I, and I don't think Google has a similar solution yet. They have the Chromecast integration, which is cool, but they don't have, you know, these multiple additional microphones you can put in different places of the house. And it just feels like Amazon has sort of a of a uh, of an advantage here because they've been around for longer. They have That's more not. skills, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So that's that. Talking about Google, though, uh, my keyboard of choice, Gboard, uh, was recently updated. It was a, a much-awaited update for many people who were using the, the, the keyboard, like me, because the thing that I was waiting for the most was for them to adopt the new emoji that were introduced in iOS 10.2. Um, mm-hmm. They weren't in the keyboard, so that was kind of frustrating, and the, the glyphs were, were out of date. Um 
So that's great. They also added a dictation, which was again was something that I really wanted, but I'm I'm not too keen on the implementation. So the way that it works is the space bar um, now has a little microphone icon on it. If you press and hold the space bar, it opens a Google application, like it it throws you out to the Google app. You speak into the app, uh, it does the translation for you, copies the text and pastes it, and then it kind of throws you back to messages and, and or wherever you were and pastes it in. Uh, so it's it I mean it it's fine it it does an okay job, uh, but my problem the reason that I'm not using it is I got into the habit as a long time Gboard user of having to use the space bar as the way to move the cursor around. So I press like I force touch the um the 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 space bar so I can move the cursor around and over like the day that I left the tr- keyboard shortcut for the text to speech on. Uh, I just kept launching out to the other application every time I wanted to use the cursor, so I have turned that feature off. But it is cool that it's there because it is something that I miss. Uh, you know, like my hands are full. Like sometimes I just want to speak into the phone, but I can't do that. Um, I, I can't do the text-to-speech stuff until now. So I'm pleased that they have it. I wished that they would just let me add a key uh, for it instead rather than it making it uh, false touch or long press or whatever on the spacebar. Um, but I'm pleased that it's there. Do you want to know why I continue to use Gboard? Yes, I would love to, honestly. I really right. do. <laughs> so one of the, the main reason is the absolutely fantastic uh, swipe keyboard functionality. So the ability to just, with one finger, you just swipe your finger over the keyboard and it works out what you're trying to say. Um, so instead of just you typing every key, you just swipe mm. your finger over them and it will write stuff out for you. Um, I use that all the time. Uh, I love it. I use it even when I don't, you know, like this stuff exists because it's like, oh, it's one hand. But I actually just find it quicker and nicer to type that way, to just use this swipe keyboard stuff. Uh, the autocorrection is vastly superior to Apple's autocorrection. Um, from a perspective of learning words, um, from using, I'm sure, Google history and stuff like that to kind of understand what I'm looking for, right? Like, so if I'm typing something, the the quick type stuff is is much better. Um, but also, let me, so I'll paint this picture for you. How many times do you writing out a message and it kind of comes up as like, hello, N, my N, name, N, is N, right? <laughs> yeah, because you miss the space bar. I do it all the time. And you keep hitting N. Google knows this and you can write an entire sentence and it will correct it for you. Apple mm. kind of the Apple keyboard kind of gets really upset after the sec- like the second word. But the the Google t- uh, autocorrection stuff is way better and I just find the autocorrection in general to be superior. Um it has a in my usage a better understanding of what I'm trying to write. I also love the emoji suggestions. So if you type out in text it suggests emoji by a quick type, but it isn't I feel like with Apple's implementation of this, you kind of have to, to to like speak to it in code. Like you have to be asking for the words, very specific words. But with Google, they seem to attach more words to the emoji. I mention this one every single time, but it is my favorite. If you type the word but, you get a peach. <laughs> I love that. I think <laughs> it's hilarious. So, some developers spend hours on that just, just for you. Mm-hmm. So that's why I use it, and I continue to use it. I use it every single day. Um, the main Apple keyboard remains turned off on my iPhone. Wow. Did, is the bug still there where sometimes it won't lo- load a third-party keyboard in, in uh, the Siri search It's gotten screen? a lot better. It happens yeah. way less to me. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, the only third party keyboard I have installed is Text Expander by our friends at Smile. But other than that, I've, I've, I've tried them, but it, they always seem just sort of uh, buggy and janky. And uh, I don't know if that's still fair. I, have, I haven't really used one in a long time. Um, but I thought this would be an interesting opportunity to talk about how what Apple could do to make third party keyboards better. This is where mm. we all look at Federico. Well, aside from the fact that I totally understand Mike, but I could never use Gboard because they don't do uh, multiple languages at the same time, like the Apple keyboard. And I would also be too upset uh, if I had to wait for new emoji to be supported after like three months mm-hmm. since they came out. Aside from that, there's a, there are some major problems with uh, with custom keyboard and the, the API on iOS. Just before we go down this rabbit hole, can I just address that emoji comment? Yes. Like, it's totally true that it took a while, but the, you still have the button there to switch to Apple's emoji keyboard. Like, it's just as easy because Google have implemented their own emoji keyboard, right? So you can do that and you'll get the old stuff, but, like, all you have to do is just press the same button you'd press if you use an Apple standard keyboard and you get the regular Apple emoji keyboard. Like, so it's it's not a dire situation, right? Like, it's not like I couldn't use those emojis for a long time. It just wasn't in Google's implementation of the emoji keyboard. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I get it. it just so, uh, you know. It's frustrating, but not, not yeah. like a, I couldn't get emoji situation, you know? You know, and the multiple language stuff is... Uh, the multiple language thing is like, that is a, that is awesome, the, the way that Apple does that. And it's not the... Like, Google updated with a bunch of languages. You can have a bunch of languages, but it's the way that you can type in multiple languages without switching. That's yeah. that's kind of what yeah. makes Apple's implementation better. Yeah, and that's really terrific when you, when you, you, know, when you speak to languages. I can uh, keep the same keyboard and I can switch, you know, on an iMessage conversation with my girlfriend and with you guys... And I don't need to adapt. And within the same sentence, I can actually switch from Italian to English. So if I'm talking in Italian to my web developer, for example, but I want to use some English words, it's not going to be autocorrected. It's not going to be, you know, with a red underline uh, to signify an error because it understands multiple languages. Yeah. So that's awesome. Um, anyway, the, the problems with the custom keyboards, uh, I believe that most of them go back to the fact that when Apple launched, uh, you know, the, the API, and this is something that I heard years ago, uh, it was mostly a response uh, because, you know, at the top level, uh, Apple wanted to offer an alternative to custom keyboards on Android. Uh, and so they basically they put together this feature. I don't want to say at the last minute, but it wasn't, you know, not a lot of engineering resources or thought went into this API uh, because Apple just wanted to have, you know, to match Android and to offer this keyboard functionality. Uh, but as you, you know, as you remember, when they launched on iOS 8, they were really, really rough. Yeah, uh, they lot were of bugs, unusable. A lot, lot of issues. Yeah. Uh, re- some people would say unusable. I would actually agree. Um, they got slightly, they got slightly better uh, through the years. Um, but there are still some design choices that fundamentally um, make them, uh, you know, difficult to use. I think for some people. Uh, so the main problem is that by def- by design, Apple doesn't want custom keyboards to be able to type into the secure text input fields. So when you're coming across, you know, a, a dialogue that asks asks for a password, or you know, if it's the iTunes uh, login prompt or the iCloud login prompt, you won't be able to type in with the custom keyboard, and the system will automatically, by default, revert to the Apple keyboard, which is the only one that can type into the password fields. Uh, so developers can choose to, of course, you know, uh, encode. They have to say, okay, this is a secure text input fields, 
and usually you can recognize it because you know the letters that you type get masked as a dot you know uh, because they're a password um and i guess apple doesn't want you know uh, google to be able to sniff out the letters that you type into a password or really any other third party company not just google so that's a design decision so by default you won't be able to uh to you know just install Gboard and say, I never ever want to see the Apple keyboard again, because eventually, if you type a password, you will see the Apple keyboard. So that's not a big deal. I mean, actually, that's a pretty sweet design decision, I would say, but you won't be able to go full time. Uh, the, the major problems, I would say, are the things that Apple has done with the first party keyboard that they don't open up to third parties, which basically create this uh, huge obstacle to make a solid, you know, to make a decent alternative to the Apple keyboard, which is uh, Apple rolls its own dictation engine, of course, and they don't let third-party keyboards access the native dictation interface that you get in the Apple keyboard. So if you want to, you know, if you want to make a third-party custom keyboard, you got to make your own dictation. Google can, of course, but, you know, some indie developer who wants to make a different keyboard design probably cannot run, you know, a dictation server for 120 languages. Um, and then there's the language model and the multi-language support. You know, all of these uh, features that Apple has honed, has perfected over the years, uh, they're not open to third-party developers. So you basically, you need to, you know, to maintain your, your own dictionary, your own language model. Uh, the, the mechanics of guessing what word the user wants to type and all of the different adjustments that iOS does dynamically in real time as you tap on the keys on the keyboard. You know, iOS under the hood, it actually adjusts the tap targets of the keyboard to match the word uh, and the letters that, you know, the system thinks you're going to type. All of that stuff that you don't see but that actually happens, it's not open to developers, at least most of it. And that's a, you know, that's a huge barrier to entry for most custom keyboards. And... And then there's the you know the the basic user experience stuff. So installing keyboards is still super difficult. You need to follow this procedure basically. It's like a six-step process. You need to open settings, you need to find the screen, you need to enable the keyboard, and you need to switch on some permissions if the app wants to use the the, inter the internet to fetch some data. And so developers basically came out came up with these different tutorials. It's uh, you know showing you a video on how to install a keyboard, and then you need to explain users. Well, you just downloaded this app from the App Store, but it's not really an app; it's a keyboard. So you need to go into settings and do this and do mm -hmm. that. Uh, it's very difficult, and it sort of highlights the confusion that um, that Apple has created in these different parts of iOS, where you download the app from the App Store, but it's not really an app, you know? Like, you download this piece of software, and then maybe it's an extension, maybe it's a widget, or maybe it's a keyboard, or maybe it's an iMessage seeker pack, right? So you're, you're still downloading the same way, but you're forcing users to install all of these different bits of, uh, of an app, each in a different way. Yeah. And, uh, and I believe uh, all of this would get fixed if only Apple would, came, you know, uh, would come up with this... Uh, new design where you get, I don't know, like a prompt maybe, uh, a menu that says, okay, this app contains this and that, tap and, you know, switch it on and you're going to install the keyboard or you're going to install the widget instead of having to go into settings and do all the things manually. So there's a lot Apple can do uh, with custom keyboards. It's gotten better since the days of iOS 8. Still not perfect, still not great. And I believe the underlying problem is Apple is moving towards this model where 
apps contain a bunch of different extensions, a bunch of different you know widgets and other things than the traditional app experience. But enabling these extensions, enabling these extras, still takes too many taps, still takes too much time. And that's the basic problem to fix, I think. Do you think they're going to do any of that? Well, not for custom keyboards. I think if a, if they're going to do anything, it's going to be widgets and iMessage stuff. And especially mm-hmm. the iMessage stuff. I, I saw many, many developers complain about, you know, getting one-star reviews on the App Store because users, you know, download the app and, you know, they expect the app to be available on the home screen and instead it's an iMessage sticker pack or it's an iMessage app and they don't find it. And I think if, the, if Apple is, is going to do anything, so they already... Uh, added to the app store a badge that says uh, this is an iMessage only app but still so many users don't you know they don't read what is you know on the product page they just hit the download button and so I think if Apple needs to do anything is to make it easier to install iMessage seekers and to install iMessage apps and maybe widgets I, I don't have a lot of hopes honestly about custom keyboards because I don't think the attitude has changed you know uh it's a feature that iOS has. It's not deprecated. It's maintained. It's still available, but it's not getting any major new additions. I mean, with iOS 10, the only uh, improvement that Apple made uh, was to make it slightly more reliable so the keyboards don't crash as often anymore. And now you can tap and hold the globe icon, which has to be consistent among third-party keyboards, and you get the same keyboard switching menu of the native Apple keyboard. And that's it. That's literally one change for, one fix for, you know, to make it crash less and another change to use the same switcher. Mm -hmm. But there's Mm -hmm. no new APIs, no new, you know, major changes. So I don't have a lot of hopes, honestly. Yeah, I don't know how, like, you've you've definitely outlined a couple of key areas that they can change it. Like, I don't think that this needs an incredible amount of work from Apple, right? Like, stability is key and then just allowing them some additional access would be great. Like, and as well, I know something that I would really like, and I know I know why Apple does it, but I, I really wish that I was able to just say to them, like, I'm okay, like, with enabling this keyboard to let me enter passwords or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. when I go into 1Password and then I'm given just, yeah. uh, I'm always throwing up the emoji keyboard as my way to <laughs> type into 1Password. <laughs> And then I hit the button and then I get like the most stripped down version of Apple's keyboard with no, because mm-hmm. it does default to that. Like if you don't have the keyboard installed, what it does is it, when there's no keyboard, because the, the an app has said, no, I know you better than you know yourself, um, then <laughs> it, it will uh, just give you this keyboard, which is, it has no quick type, it has no autocorrect, uh, it has no suggestions, nothing. Like it's, it's just basic text entry. Um, and it's the same for um, when you get a notification and you respond to the notification. Like if the phone's unlocked, it won't let you use the third-party keyboard. And it's like, it's like, look, I I super appreciate that you're trying to take care of me, but right, just 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 let me use the keyboard that I want to use. Like when you're when you're wording <laughs> like warnings like full access, then I I feel like you could maybe actually give them full access. Which also, right. like, they should just change the wording of that box because it's like, oh, this keyboard has access to everything on your phone. Like, it can dig into all of your apps. It can listen to your music if it wants to. Like, full access is such a strongly worded phrase. Like, I feel sorry for any keyboard developer that has to tell someone to enable that. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. But um, 
I think they say that because they, they want to err on the side of caution, right? Like the, yep. the other side of it is they do what Android does and do something really modular where like it's con- it's kind of more overwhelming. But it, yeah, it's, it seems so silly to me. Like you, it's difficult to install as you guys outlined and that's fine. Like someone who really wants to do it will figure it out. If someone goes to those hoops, like let them use it everywhere. And it just seems like Apple did did the keyboard thing and like minimal viable product right like it, it works most of the time in most yeah. of the places but not yeah. everywhere all the time and they've just walked away from it and there's a lot of stuff about that in apple software just all over the map but it seems like in the keyboard thing it's probably not the most important uh section of ios right whoever nope. did that i'm sure hasn't been in there very often and that's fine but it would be nice to see them do it because there's a lot of things in gboard that sound appealing to me uh, but i don't want to deal with like the glitchiness and like sometimes it doesn't work because like a keyboard should be there when I want it. So I don't know. Like it, it as great as it may be, I don't want to depend on it if it's going to be flaky. I strongly recommend that everyone, including you, install Gboard and just try it. Alright, I'm doing it. Oh I did. It's impressive. I mean the suggestions are terrific and the swiping uh, You also get gifts as well, like built into the keyboard. No no Gboard is amazing. It's mm-hmm. just um I don't like how um I'm trying to think of a right word. Uh extraneous maybe. It just looks strange. It doesn't look native. That's all. And so when I install Gboard and I open, I don't know, messages or tweetbot it just looks like one half of the screen is iOS and the other half is Android. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it makes sense. You can also create themes so you can make it look, you know, yeah, in your own way. Yeah, I have the dark mm-hmm. theme, so I have like a dark keyboard all the time, which I enjoy. I get what you mean, though, because it, it's, it's styled in Google style. Like, it, it yeah. actually looks like Google's keyboard. They, they have actually yeah. since renamed the keyboard on Android Gboard. Like, <laughs> yeah. it is the, I mean, it, the name of the product. If Google had an iOS styled theme for Gboard, uh, I would probably uh, use it much, much more. But I remember, like a couple of months ago, I used Gboard for a month. Right? I think it was before the holidays, and it was impressive. I mean, the suggestions in English and Italian were perfect, and the GIF search, the emoji search, is terrific. And I like how I can uh, glide with one hand, and it just picks up words. That's amazing. But it just I look at it and I'm like it doesn't look okay to me, you know. Yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. But uh you've tried it, right? And you've made your decision. Uh, I think if people haven't, they should. And I will just underscore it and say if you're gonna try it, remove the Apple keyboard. You've gotta go all in on that thing. Should I I'm doing it right now. Should I remove Apple's emoji keyboard too, I guess? Uh you can now. I mean I have it on just because whatever, but you can now. I'm doing Gboard and Tech Expander. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live this way until the show next week, and we'll see if I have destroyed my phone or not. Excellent news. Maybe we won't know because you won't be able to fill out any of the documents. Oh, uh, by the way, it still <laughs> sucks on the iPad, so there's that. Oh, uh, yeah, well, I don't. Uh, you can't use the iPad for real typing. This week's episode is brought to you by Encapsula, the multifunction content delivery network that boosts the performance of your website, protects it from denial of service attacks, and secures it from bad guys whilst ensuring high availability. 
Over 100,000 organizations trust Encapsula every day, from Fortune 500 companies to one-person websites. It doesn't matter who you are, Encapsula can help protect you. They have all the resources you're ever going to need to help your website load quickly, even if something bad is happening. And with their 24-7 operations team, you have the additional help there if you ever need it, and you get to benefit from personal account management and the best service level agreement in the business. Put simply, you don't have to worry about this. Encapsula have got you protected. Your site's going to be lightning fast. They got your back. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free. All you need to do is go to Encapsula.com slash connected. That is I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A.com slash connected. This is where you'll find out more about Encapsula service and claim your free month. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show and Relay FM. So today, the Wall Street Journal published an article talking about some rumors that they have been given regarding the iPhone 8. So according to the Wall Street Journal, the iPhone 8 will feature a curved OLED display made by Samsung. They are saying that this curved display will be featured on one model of the new iPhone lineup kind of therefore corroborating Minji Kuo's reports of there being a, like a 7S, a 7S Plus, and an iPhone 8 in September. Mm-hmm. They also corroborate that they will drop the physical home button in favor of a function area, so therefore mm-hmm. this screen's going to be bigger, that kind of thing, right? And we're going to have no home button, we're going to have these software keys. Everything we was talking about last week. But then the Wall Street Journal just throw this line in there um, about Apple adding USB-C to the iPhone, it seems what they're saying is they're going to be adding USB-C in favor of Lightning. So let's park that just for a moment. What do you guys think about this uh, curved OLED thing, right? Like I'm assuming from this it's going to be like curved at the edges, right? You know, that, that mm-hmm. all, that's kind of the rumor that they're going for. Or curved might mean flexible. But like does this sound good to you, right? This is, seems like what we heard last week. I mean, yeah, uh, if Apple can figure out OLED uh, with True Tone, that'd be amazing. And I think OLED also opens up the, the door for uh, a proper dark theme on iOS with APIs for developers to make dark themes and to kind of switch the UI from, you know, beach, uh, bleach white to some decent dark or black, dark gray, you know, dark blue, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I'm all for OLED, honestly. I think if Apple can figure it out with True Tone and with Retina, you know, with all of the pieces of... This uh, display puzzle, it's going to be glorious. Um, so, yeah, the display sounds good to me, uh, even the curved edges. I mean, if it's comfortable to hold. And I'm kind of curious about, you know, the case situation, like if it's got a curved edge with the curved display, because I'm not familiar with curved uh, Samsung phones and I'm not sure how, uh, you know, case makers can make, uh, you know, actually cases that cover the side, the curved sides. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, yeah, thumbs up for the display part. USB-C. Mm-hmm. So yeah. let's just assume that what the Wall Street Journal are saying here is that this phone will have a USB-C port, right? Okay, yeah, because people are already saying on Twitter that maybe the Wall Street Journal got that rumor wrong mm-hmm. because they meant that the con- the port is going to be lightning, but the cable is going to be USB-C on the other end. So that's what some people are saying on Twitter. But actually, the Wall Street Journal is saying it's going to have a USB-C port. So do you want me to read the exact quote from the Wall Street Journal? Yes, please. So just make it clear. Yeah. They say, 
USB-C port for the power cord and other peripheral devices instead of the company's own original lightning connector. Well, there now, you go. To so me, USB-C that's port, pretty clear, yeah. right? Yeah, I think but, people you know, are reading too much into the fact yes. that it's weirdly written and says power cord, but it, it yeah. says instead of the company's lightning connector. Now, the lightning yeah. connector is not featured on the other side of the cord. That's a USB. You wouldn't call it a port. You would no. call it, you know, a cable connector or something. Or like, a yeah, connector. Whatever yeah. it would be. So, like, I am reading this as... They are saying USB-C for the mm-hmm. iPhone. Like, it will have a USB-C port on it. Yeah. So, Stephen. Yes. Do you think they will do this? I think that they should do it. I'm not sure that they will this time, but uh, we're going to get, I guess, into pros and cons. But before we do, like, the Wall Street Journal gets Apple leaks. They get, mm-hmm. like... If Apple, so we've been saying for weeks, right? If if some of this stuff isn't real in this phone, Apple is going to start playing the PR game pretty soon. Well, now pretty soon has come, and we have this thing in the Wall Street Journal where Apple has done PR head games before. So, like, I I think that they should do it. I think that having USB C everywhere is the future. Uh, it would be really great to be able to take just a you know one cable with you somewhere and, and know that it works with everything you have. And it gives them a lot of the benefits that Lightning does, where it's reversible, it's small, it is bigger than than Lightning uh, a little bit. But I think it would be, I think the the long term benefits are there. I think it'd be great. I, I would, um, you know, it's always a bummer to replace all your cables, which is what everyone has been moaning about today on Twitter. But I think that's a reasonable trade off if we can, if at the other end of it, you have one cable that does all of your things, right? That everything is USB-C everywhere and it truly is like a universal standard as opposed to it being fragmented right now. Mm. Is is this the year for that? I guess to really answer your question, uh, maybe. I mean, if, it, if this was not in the Wall Street Journal, I would not take it so seriously, but because it is, you've got to think that it's real. And if they're going to do it the way they say, this article says they're going to do it where you have the 7S... 7s plus you know be basically the same phone they have now but upgrade internals and this new fancy phone moves to USB-C. like that's not a terrible way to do it i guess it it it, it eases people into it people who are going to like the three of us and our listeners who are going to buy the most expensive nicest iphone there is we'll have to deal with it and but by the time you know uh the the phones get handed down to our family members or other people they sort of trickle out then People will be used to the idea. Same thing, same way they did thirty pin dot connector to Lightning, right? It was a slow thing. So, um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's gonna be uncomfortable, but I'm gonna say yes that this is this is what is happening. Federico, it's been five years since Apple unveiled the Lightning connector in place of the thirty pin. Is that too short a time period to change over again? It feels it feels too short. Um... Because when you when you talk to any person who doesn't listen to tech podcasts, um, they they're still kind of burned by the switch from uh, the thirty pin to lightning. And I just brought up this story this morning with my girlfriend, and the very first reaction was, "But they just changed the connector, you know, with the iPhone 5. So it's still fresh in people's memory. I think uh, that you know the transition between different cables is painful. Uh, as much as we as nerds like to constantly upgrade to the latest, you know, standard, because we love standards, right? Everybody does. Uh, but, you know, most people, uh, I'm afraid they don't care. 
and they just want you know to not replace cables every sure. four to five years. I don't think any of us want to replace our cables, right? Like I think could just take a straw poll. Like I don't want to do that. We are more inclined to do so. Exactly. We That's think the on difference. the other on the other end, there's a better solution. And USB C clearly is the better solution. I'm all for USB C, like OLED. I think USB C. Uh, it's the future. It's the dream of a single connector that does a bunch of things, and it's small, it's reversible, and it's adopted by the whole industry. So it's basically USB-A, uh, but at a much better, you know, um, proposition because it's smaller, it's compact, you know, and it can do power delivery. It's it's awesome, you know. And that said, it's quite the predicament that Apple is in right now because on one end you have people like us who say, well, it's going to be painful. Uh, but I think Apple should do USB-C. And then you have, on the other side, uh, the people who are like, no, Apple is never going to do you know, the switch from Lightning. So Apple, either way, there's going to be a massive wave of criticism because if Apple adopts USB-C, there's going to be the, the transition, there's going to be you know, um, the questions about why did you release Lightning uh, earpods last year if you knew you were going to do USB-C. And then... If Apple doesn't do USB-C, there's going to be the opposite of that, which is why is not Apple adopting you know, this new awesome standard? Why are they still using Lightning? So whatever they do, there's going to be negative PR, which I think is exactly why Apple is getting started with this story yep. in the Wall Street Journal right now. Because if you know, either way, there's going to be criticism, well, it's better to get started in, you know, February, basically, for Before September. Before the phone's on or, sale, right? <laughs> because the phone is on sale, just like they did, so with the, with the, with the, um, headphone jack. With the audio, with the iPhone jack. Yeah. I just couldn't think of headphones. With the iPhone jack. <laughs> he's, he's forgotten all about them. Port's gone. It's like, I don't yeah, know I just, what they I just, are uh, what, what is the name of that thing? Uh, so they started, I think, even <laughs> earlier than February. I think I remember it was maybe December or January, yeah. maybe? Because they knew, I mean, getting rid of the iPhone jack is a, is a big deal. But, I, uh, you know, lightning to USB-C is also a big deal. And I almost wonder if maybe, besides, you know, planting these stories, um, maybe adding USB-C to the iPad Pro in the meantime would also be another move to kind of make me p- people more comfortable with the idea of an iOS device with a USB-C port, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So if you see Apple moving to USB-C on the iPad, you know, the iPad Pro... You know, maybe with a bunch of other USB uh, USB C features on iOS, like external devices, maybe then you get people comfortable with the idea, and then you you know, come September, you show off three phones. Two are like an upgrade of the iPhone Seven with the Lightning connector, but you know, upgraded specs, and then you have the future of the iPhone. You can pro- position in that way. It's the future of the iPhone with a new connector with wireless charging, charging. And I can see Apple saying, well, you charge it wirelessly every night because you just place it on your nightstand and you don't need, you know, we because of wireless charging, we were able to get rid of the lightning connector. Whatever Apple can do, you know, they, they can spin it positively, I'm sure. Just like they did with the headphone jack, but maybe not with the coverage line. I will say on that, right, like I have, I have remained unsatisfied with Apple's reasoning for the headphone jack and for the home button because, in my opinion, they gave no reason. There are strong, clear reasons to make this switch like that I would be happy with. Like You could just straight up say, imagine only needing one cable for all your technology. Like, that is a good enough reason, right? Like, that you could have your MacBook, your iPad, your AirPods, maybe, we'll talk about that, 
and your phone, and you just need one type of cable. Like, if you travel, you just need to take one cable with you. And, like, yeah. yep. we're about to get Nintendo Switches. They charge by USB-C. That's, right? I mean, that's awesome, right? That's amazing. Yes. You talk about wired headphones, right? Like, it's too difficult for a company to make wired headphones with either USB-C or Lightning on it. Because right. you have to make a choice. And so I think a lot of companies aren't doing this. But if you still want wired headphones, like having them all be USB-C is great. Like being able to go to like a friend's house, like in a few years' time, be like, oh, my phone's dead. They'll be like, do you have this type of charger? No, it's just like, can I use your phone charger? Because we all have the same cable. Like this makes so much sense to just be like, this is a great standard. It got, it's got everything you need. It's small. It's reversible. You can do data. You can do power. And it can be used by everyone. It's perfect. You know why that's awesome? Because it's just like electricity. You know, the wall socket mm. is the same for everyone. Yeah. And it, yep. I mean, it changes depending on country. But, mm-hmm. you know, most of the time when you go to a friend's house, you can plug your stuff in because they have the same the same plug as you do because it's a universal standard. And that's the dream of USB-C. Um, and I think maybe um, this is interesting because on the one hand, there's the Apple that likes to control their own stuff. They're different from the industry. They're different from everyone. And so they have lightning. They can more tightly control the experience and whatever. But on the other hand, there's the reality that, you know, the world is like... You have friends that use Android phones and you use other stuff than Apple products. Apple doesn't make the entire, uh, you know, universe of electronic appliances in the world. There's consoles, there's computers, there's headphones. There's different stuff than iPhones and iPads and Siri remotes, um, which also charge realigning. So the dream of a single cable, same connector everywhere, that's amazing, right? Because you can buy them cheap on Amazon. You can go to any store and grab a USB-C cable. I just bought two this week. And it's it's so convenient and it's so awesome. And Apple, if they don't want to do USB-C, there has to be a reason. Uh, it could be, well, we can save more space with lightning. I doubt it. Or we can more, you know, we can do better audio. We can do high definition audio. I don't know. I'm pretty sure you can do the same with USB-C. Um, I'm really, if Apple does it, I'm happy. It's going to be painful. It's going to be people who complain, but that's that's why they're doing the leak now. If they don't do it, I'm just left wondering why did you not do it? So it's a very interesting situation. I would like to just uh, head people off at this point before they start saying that we only think it's a good idea because uh, Apple's now maybe potentially deciding to do it. I know we have spoken about this before. Oh, we did. We and did I know, speak about USB-C. I don't know when, but I know I have said on this show that I wish that the iPhone had USB-C. Like, and that I think Apple should do it. I remember I said, I want USB-C, maybe even two USB-C ports on the iPad Pro. Yep. I'm sure I said We that. have spoken about that too. And like, serious fingers crossed, man, like for, for two of them. Like, I, uh, Samsung just brought out these these tablets that look like iPad Pros, right? They have like keyboard covers. Keyboard cover looks awesome, by the way. It's adjustable by angle just going to say oh uh, nice but they have windows versions right so they, they have um android versions and windows versions and i was looking at the verge's review of it and they were like showing a side view of it and it had two usb-c ports on the side and i just felt something in my heart you know i was like i want it mm-hmm. you know like I, I you know they're so small you could just put two next to each other yeah then i could do charging and i could have like a, an external hard drive or i don't know like whatever but i feel like that they could they could do that on the ipad the, the big problem here is that compared to 2012 mm-hmm. with the iPhone 5, 
there's so much more stuff Apple has done that charges via lightning. That's there's the keyboards, that's, there's AirPods, there's the Siri remote, there's the Apple Pencil. There's Magic so mouse. There's a mouse. There's so many more Apple accessories and, you know, even major ones like the AirPods and the Pencil, you know, big products that Apple has released that use lightning. And so this transition wouldn't just affect iPhones. It would be a whole ecosystem bigger than it used to be in 2012, needing to transition from one standard to the other. So, you know, I love USB-C, but it's just, man, it's gonna be it's gonna be rough for Apple to to pull this off if they want to do it. That is an issue, right? That I mean, we will still be stuck in the world of needing multiple cables for a while for some stuff, and yeah. it also opens more problems. So let's just focus on headphones for a moment. <laughs> so. What would they include in the box with the iPhone? This this expensive iPhone. Do <laughs> we get USB-C, <laughs> USB-C AirPods? Or do we get AirPods? But if we get AirPods, right? Let's, let's imagine that they, they, they do something awesome and they include with this phone, which is probably going to cost over $1,000, they include AirPods in the box. Those AirPods would have to be charged by USB-C, right? Not Lightning. So then there would be different versions of that which you would buy. See, that's that's what I'm talking about. It's it, it's this whole thing of multiple accessories and, and a bigger ecosystem than the days of the iPhone 5 that needs to move. And, you know, there's the question of what do you put in the box, right? Um, so I assume if there's a single USB-C port, there will be USB-C earpods in the box, so that's the cheapest, most likely option. But if Apple wants to go with the, you know, let's do this crazy expensive iPhone, let's put the AirPods in, uh, then those AirPods will have to charge with USB-C. The other option would be, let's just put both cables in the box. So let's put a one USB-C cable, one lightning cable to kind of help with this transition like they did with the headphone jack adapter. So let's put two things in the box. That's the other option. Maybe, or, you know, Another crazy idea. Maybe this iPhone has two ports. Maybe there's a lightning port. Maybe there's a USB-C port. What? No. no. I can't imagine no. that. I appreciate where you're going with that, but like I, I can't imagine that. I'm just considering all of the possible options, right? Because on the iPad, it's not too crazy to imagine, you know, there's one lightning, one USB-C, or maybe one lightning, two USB-C ports, because the iPad has a lot of space. Uh, of course, the iPhone uh, traditionally only offered one connector at the bottom, so I would rule out, you know, the dual option. Uh, but, you know, th- there's this question of Apple has done all of these accessories since the iPhone 5, and whether it's the desktop or the iPad or the iPhone. And now, you know, there's this new standard of USB-C and you need to transition everything again. But I also have another question. What if, you know, two years from now, we, you know, the, the industry comes up with mini USB-C. And so now there's this even better standard so once you once you get on the industry train it's difficult to get off because you're always going to be asked to adopt the latest standard and these Mm. standards they like to be refreshed often so it wouldn't be impossible you know two three years from now there's an even smaller even better usb-c so now people expect apple to you know switch the better usb-c and there's this problem all over again and it grows exponentially every time because you know the 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 time period between changes only gets shorter the moment you adopt the the standard that other people choose i think that once they're on the train it becomes less of a problem and they move along with it 
Oh man, you just become like Samsung, basically. Yeah. That you know, you you change the adapter often. But is that something Apple wants? Maybe I don't know. I don't know if it makes too much of a difference to them. Like if they if they change along with the times, right? Like it's well, you just have to buy new accessories. Like we'll take the fees, awesome. But there's a there's a, I mean, I get that. But there's also a beauty in the idea of well, the iPhone has this cable, and it's different from everyone else. But I know it's always gonna work. At least that was the idea. Yeah, I know. I mean, it would be great, right? Like if it, it would be great if I could get all of the benefits. Well, you know what would be really awesome is just that everybody adopted Lightning, but that's you know can't or <laughs> yeah. never would happen. I'm really fifty fifty on this, you know. Uh, debate right now yeah because like, i want the benefits but i don't want to replace everything right <laughs> so i choose which one of those i want and i want the benefits more and i'll take the short-term pain of like the either spending a bunch of money to do it all at once or like over time still needing multiple cables as i slowly transition things you know yeah most of all i would really i would really like to have a like a, like a story to tell my friends whenever they inevitably approach me and say is it true they're gonna change the cable again and I don't, want, I don't know what kind of narrative I'm supposed to explain right now. It's like, they come to me with questions and they expect answers. And if I'm like, well, maybe they're going to change the cable, I'm not really sure they should do that because it's going to be painful. My friends are going to be upset. And I'm, and I'm that serious here. Um, you know, when, you're, when you become the tech support person of your family and of your mm-hmm. friends, they expect answers and they expect safety. They expect, you know, to be calmed down. And man, telling people, well, you gotta change ten cables now and buy all of you know different adapters. Well, there's an easy thing to say for now. Just say only if you're willing to spend a thousand dollars on an iPhone. <laughs> right there, you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah it won't trickle down for, Great uh, for a while, potentially. Because you know this is gonna be the talk of the summer, and you know any family gathering. You know, I mean, man, I just feel bad for the poor person who walks in the Apple store to buy a new set of headphones for their phone and they have to know if they have a headphone jack or a lightning port or a USB-C port. Uh, oh, so many ports. Uh, and the two look alike. Like, they I mean, do. to the average consumer, like USB-C and lightning are very similar. And so it's it's like, do you have a round one or do you have like a rectangle? You know, it's it, that's just going to be messy. And some people in the chat room are like, why didn't they do it last year when they ditched the headphone jack? Like, Right, right. That's all to my me. question. Like that's that's a great question. Allow me to add some stupid speculation to all of this mess. Oh, Remember the no. whole thing about how the uh, the AirPods were like the the hole on the AirPod case okay. looks so like dumb. it could fit yeah. a USB C port, right? And then also coupled with the other rumors of like Apple missed their time with the phone, maybe those two things line up. Maybe it was supposed to be USB C on the AirPods. And there's just nothing they could do about it. And so the phone was late. They still wanted to put the AirPods out. They just retrofitted the lightning port on the thing and shipped it. Mm. Wild speculation. Mm. This week's episode is also brought to you by Blue Apron, the number one recipe delivery service that has the freshest of ingredients. How fresh, you asked? Well, let me tell you. Their produce is sourced from farms that practice regenerative farming. Their beef, chicken, pork, come from responsibly raised animals and their seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. And all of these ingredients have a freshness guarantee that means that every ingredient arrives ready to cook or Blue Apron will make it right. For less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron will deliver to you recipes with high quality ingredients with step-by-step meal instruction cards, right? So you get the recipe cards so you can follow along all of the ingredients for proportion so you just get what you need. Every meal 
is able to be prepared in 40 minutes or less and lets you create fantastic, delicious home-cooked food. Let me give you some examples of some of the meals that you could get at Blue Apron. Pork chops and miso butter with bok choy and marinated apple. Spicy shrimp coconut curry with cabbage and rice. Or maybe you would like mushroom and barley miso ramen with smoked dulce and spicy red cabbage. Every time I read these, I know there's at least one ingredient that I have mispronounced, and that is because Blue Apron has such fancy and lovely food. They have a culinary team that put this stuff together. You can choose the food that you want. You can uh, you can set your dietary preferences as well in case there's certain things you never want to get. Or you can let Blue Apron's culinary team just surprise you and just send you the stuff that they think you're going to love. No recipes are repeated within a year. You're going to get great food sent to you at home. You get all of the ingredients that you need, no trips to the grocery store. You're also going to get all the instructions. And those instructions, as well as just telling you how to cook that meal you're cooking, are going to make you just a better cook in general. And you'll be able to get new skills that you'll be able to use for all of the cooking that you do at home. Blue Apron delivers to 99% of the continental US. You just get deliveries when you want them. There's no weekly commitment. You can check out this week's menu and get three meals for free with your first purchase, including free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash connected. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create these incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So go to blueapron.com slash connected and we thank them for their support of this show. And Relay FM, Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So there are mobile phones uh, being distributed across the world from the hub of Barcelona this week as the Mobile World Congress is occurring. And there is just a couple of things I think that's worth pointing out here. Um, One of them is what I think I will now refer to as uh, thin bezel phones as opposed to bezel-less. Let's just say, right, we can call them bezel-less, but I don't think anyone really expects that there'll be no bezel at all. Like Even the screens that like stretch around the side, something still has to hold on to it, right? Like There has to be some edge. That's where we are right now. So I think the most impressive-looking phone that has come out of MWC this year is the LG G6. I think that this phone looks amazing. So there's a couple of things I like about it, right? I'll include a link in the show notes to the Verge's review and MKBHD's uh, kind of countdown of features. Um, they, this is like this phone. I think has a lot of what we expect the iPhone to have. That it is kind of smaller in size than some of than the big phones. You know, like the the six plus or the Pixel XL, but with a bigger or comparable screen size Mm -hmm. but the screen is long so this is i think it's 18 by 9 i think aspect ratio on this phone yeah so one two by one so the the phone is tall right so video doesn't go all the way to the edges as there's black bars on the side but i think lg are doing some really cool stuff with it so in the camera app for example you see the full camera viewer but also a preview of all the pictures you've taken so like your camera roll is up the top so as you're taking pictures you're seeing previews but because the screen's so big the previews are big enough that you can actually make sense of them or if you want to take square photos they just cut the screen in half and then you can just see like the picture you've just taken in the full size and in the square to the next of it another thing i really like i mean this is just mkbhd's great video skills uh, he t- does this one shot where you're looking at a Pixel XL. He picks up the Pixel XL and there's a six, uh, like a seven plus underneath it. He picks that up and the G6 is underneath it, and you just see how much bigger these phones are, even though the G6 has a 5.7 inch screen on it. So like mm-hmm. this is like big screens in small packages, and I think this is the trend that we're seeing right now, which I think is really interesting. So I have one question that I want to ask you both on this, right? 
So one of the things that, that MKBHD points out is that um, the multitasking, Android phones have multitasking on them, so you can have two apps open at once, that it's better because you can get more on screen because it's bigger, right? It's more screen real estate. Do you think that Apple might put multitasking on the iPhone if the screen's bigger? Mm. No. You don't think so? Uh, I think the Android implementation is is a little bit... It's just, it's just weird. Like, it's still so small. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Apple sees that as beneficial enough to do yeah. it. Yeah, I don't think it looks good, honestly. I okay. think it looks... I mean, the screen is bigger, but two apps on a phone... Are still kind of cramped, you know. Hey, Especially huh? when you when you bring up the keyboard. Uh, I don't know. Okay, just wondering. I mean, I don't. I don't want to live my life right, like with Slack and Twitter open. But there are times where it would really be great when I've just got my phone with me that I could just have two apps open, just so I can check something, you know, and enter something into something else. But that's more of a work thing, and I don't know how much real work is really being done on iPhones that you know people couldn't wait for. I guess, but maybe it's just a thing that I wouldn't mind sometimes. So, Federico, what do you think about the LG G6? I mean, I I don't think it looks amazing. I think it looks very good. Uh, but I and and you know, um, I think the idea of making a bigger screen in a more compact size, you know, by making it taller, I think it's it's a great idea, and it's obviously what the you know what most companies are moving towards. Um, I have a feeling Apple wants to go the extra mile here, and I think it will be even better than. What does that mean, though? Uh, it could be you know not having a chin at the bottom, for example, or actually extending all the way to the top. Uh, I, I expect Apple to to do more than what LG has done. But okay. maybe it's just my personal speculation. Maybe it's gonna be along these lines, right? With a with a you know with a thin uh, chin at the bottom and this edge at the top with the with the sensors. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what companies can do these days. I just hope or think, you know, making my personal hope or my personal speculation that Apple is going to do a little more. Yeah, I, I can I can understand that. My personal feeling on this is that there'll still have to be something. But, like, they will not be in this first revision of this type of thing. I can't imagine there being no chin or forehead on the phone. I think that that would be quite a big leap. But we'll see. They got to stick that stuff somewhere. And in, in those product shots of the LG, you can see everything is kind of squished up there, but it's still there. You can't, I mean, as magical as it would be to have a camera behind the screen, that's not super feasible. So I, I think the way the G6 looks, I think it looks great. And I think that if Apple is going to shrink the edges, you know, the, the stuff around the screen, that they would do in, in a similar fashion. Mm-hmm. I mean, watching this video and looking at some of these other phones coming out of, MWC, like I just pick up my iPhone. It's like this just looks old, and that's kind of a weird thing to think about an Apple product. A couple of weeks time, so uh, March twenty third, Samsung um, are going to be announcing the S eight, and I guess this will be that kind of design as well, right? I mean, they're probably going to continue with curved sides as well as like making the screens bigger. We were talking earlier in the show about the potential of uh, Apple going this route, right? Having curved edges on their phones. Samsung did it first. Will we say that Apple copied Samsung in the way that we've said for so many years that Samsung copied Apple? What's fair here? Well, yeah. I mean, um, 
that's what's going to happen, right? Uh, if you look at other companies like Xiaomi, for example, or LG and Samsung, they're doing this uh, approach of almost all screen, especially mm-hmm. the Xiaomi one. It's kind of impressive because it actually does stretch all the way to the top, uh, which looks amazing. And it's basically the closest to the idea of bezel-less that you know, we can get today. Yeah. Um, so, of course, if Apple is going to do it, it's going to come after these companies. And uh, I think it would be fair to say that Apple is following, you know, uh, what these companies have done before. Um, but I think it also happened before, right? Uh, when, you know, when Samsung was doing the S Pen on the Galaxy Tab line, for example. Then several years later, uh, Apple did the Pencil. Or when Microsoft did the Surface with the flexible keyboard and the stylus, then Apple did the iPad Pro and the Pencil. Mm-hmm. I think every time Apple does it, there's some, there's a unique twist to the implementation that makes it look more different, even if it's basically the same idea. So, for example, the Pencil with the low latency, with the tilt and pressure angle stuff, uh, with the API for developers, there's always some kind of unique Apple thing about it. But yes, the idea is the same, and I don't think it would be the first time. If they do the curved edges like like the Samsung phones, that that would be interesting to me, because nobody else is doing it the way that Samsung does it. I don't know why. I mean, I wonder if it's like this might be a thing that only Samsung are able to do right now, for for whatever reason. You know, like maybe they have the the technology in place, or they have the ability to order these screens in, in big enough yields, right? That that it's that it's fine to do. But I, I love that design. Um, you know, I've said this many times. Like I think that some of those Samsung phones are some of the best looking, if not the best looking phones are on the market right now. Because that kind of, irrespective of whether it's useful or not, just the look of that phone where like the screen just like melts off to the side, I just think is such a striking look. And I would love that in an iPhone. Yeah, I agree. Nokia is bringing back the 3310. <laughs> yeah, that's the the real attraction of the uh, in Barcelona right now is the is the Nokia. <laughs> and it and it plays Snake. Yeah, come on, it's that's incredible. Yeah, I have a real problem with this phone. Come on, I have a real problem with this. What 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 do you mean? There are like in the past few days, I've seen people in my timeline talk about how amazing it would be to have one of these. Why? Exactly. Like, <laughs> Why oh, it gets it such great battery life. Or like, oh, man, I would love to just go back to the simple times of a phone like this. Would you? Would you really? This is like this when people say, it, I right? want to move to the woods in a cabin. Uh, I tell you, you really what I do, there? Federico, whenever I see these <laughs> tweets. I double-click the tweet and see where the tweet was sent. And I think every single one of them that I've checked is sent from Twitter for iPhone or TweetBot. And I'm like, mm. So you really detach from your phone there, guy, huh? You, you're just nice and, like, stuck away from it. You don't care too much. Or, like, what about when you when you put your SIM in the 3310 and you go out into the world and you need a map and you can't get a map anymore? Like, I just don't buy it. It's crazy. This phone, this phone is the high school reunion of, of phones. <laughs> you do it every once in a while. Uh-huh. You do it for a couple of hours in very small doses. And you better... Get a drink or something if you want to get through it. Uh, but just you you cannot do it all the time, man. It's just you have no apps. So you're shut off from basically any kind of modern communication system. Your banking app is not going to work there. Your 
flight tickets are not going to be available on there. There's no note-taking app, I think. You can use Opera Mini to go on the web if you want to, and if it loads in a better version than the web browser. Uh, but really, if you see anyone with a smartphone tweeting that he wants to go back to the simpler times uh, of the Nokia phones for more than two hours... I would seriously question the tweet. Uh, you know, uh, 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 it seems like fishing for likes, honestly. So I tried this like several years ago. As you guys may remember, I tried using a dumb phone. I made it like two months and then pulled my hair out for all the reasons you just said. Like all the reasons you just said. It was terrible. Uh, and I think if you think you can really switch to this full time, you're probably. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're gonna be you're gonna be in for a surprise. Yeah, the the thing is like, a we should just say off the bat because people are saying it. Uh, the thing is 2G, so like, using in the U.S. is gonna be extremely difficult. AT and T is turning off 2G, yes. so I can't put I can't put my iPhone SIM card in this and it work on my AT and T account. No. So that's a thing. And I mean, I, the, I don't think people realize just how much we depend on smartphones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, like, so so the the the, uh, the counter argument here is like maybe I want something to like take with me uh, that isn't as expensive as my phone. People can still get in touch with me if I need to, but I don't smash my phone bike riding or something. And that did cross my mind. And for $52, it would be, I'd be more serious about it if I could use it uh, on AT&T more easily. Now, they may have a separate US version. It's still a little unclear at this point, but as far as we know right now, that, that'll be tricky here in the States. But um, I do think there some people would want something that, you know, you, you just want something you could take with you that, you know, wouldn't get destroyed. It's but, a great burner phone, I guess. Yeah, it's a great... If if you are selling drugs and you want to play Snake, this <laughs> oh is the phone you should God. buy. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, we're all thinking it. Thank you, Stephen, for saying that. It's, you know, yeah. But, I mean, there are Android phones for $99 these days. You can get them yeah. super cheap, and they're smartphones with a real browser. You can install apps. I mean, if you're going to spend $50, can you not spend 99 and get a smartphone? That's my point, you know? And they yeah. charge with USB, you know, their actual smartphones with maps, mm-hmm. you know, like with modern things that we as a society have invented since 1997. Uh, just saying, you know. I mean, I get the, uh, you know, it's like the NES Mini classic from Nintendo. It's a fun thing to buy. It's a fun thing to have. You're not going to replace your PlayStation 4 with an S-Mini Classic. You're just going to keep it there, play it every once in a while, show it off to your friends, and reminisce about the old times. And that's fine. But seeing people say, oh, I'm going to switch from an iPhone to a Nokia 3310, it's not going to happen, man. You're not going to do it. It's just, that's a a fun tweet, uh, but it's not going to be the reality. Yeah, Uh, I think you're right. If you want to find us all online, there's a few places you could do that for today's show notes. Head on over to relay.fm slash connected slash 131. Federico is at maxstories.net. Steven is at 512pixels.net. And he is at ISMH. Federico is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. Um, I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, Mac Weldon, Encapsula, and Blue Apron for supporting the show. And most of all, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back next time. Until then. Say goodbye, gentlemen. Arrivederci. Adios.